But we'll begin with this tonight as we try to conclude from Sunday morning. Speaking to you about, and this bringing to a conclusion, the thoughts of God, how precious they are. As I told you Sunday, we could, I could spend the rest of my life here, and you could spend the rest of your lifetime thinking about the thoughts of God towards you, and you would never get to the end of it. So instead of prolonging our study here and wanting to move along to some new topic, hopefully, we'll try to conclude tonight. But I started Sunday morning on God's thought, and you got to say thoughts, manifest. You have a lot of thoughts that will never come to the public's attention, may never come to anyone's attention, but God will bring His thoughts to pass. To the children, they will begin understanding that in this life. sad thing about it is that they who depart outside Christ will begin understanding God's thoughts towards them in eternity. The latter will be some of the stripes that God lays upon the back of those who refuse to hear and become acquainted with His thoughts now. John 14 You being there, would you would you bow with me as we seek our Father's face? Gracious Lord, we gather again in Thy name, trusting that. For these who came desiring to know Thee, a little more of Thy thoughts towards them, I pray that You might enlarge their hearts. that we might begin thinking of Thee in light of the great God that Thou art, not in light of this little God religion has carved out for us, that we might bow, that we might honor Thee, And that we might be continually looking to Thee to learn, serve, honor, 
and love thee before we're brought into the immediate presence of thee the living God give help in preaching helping hearing exalt Christ our Lord in his name we pray Amen God's thoughts are manifest John fourteen twenty one. He that hath my commandments, all of you got those, got them in your lap. Or you got them in your Bible on a on nightstand, hopefully by your bed or near that where you sit down in your den or living room. You've got his commandments. That does not mean that you keep them. So the condition or the promise here is based upon a condition. And that is your obedience in doing the will of God. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me, as I pointed out to you on numerous occasions, the love of God did not begin towards you when you began loving God. But it is manifest more and more as your heart is enlarged to love Him. He that loves me shall be loved of my Father. That is, He'll have a greater expression of my heart to Him, a greater manifestation of my thinking towards him. I will love him. This is Christ now. He'll be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest same words translated in form in another verse. Is translated signify in another place and to declare plainly. I will declare plainly myself to him. Now that is you reaching a certain point in your Christian life and your walk wherein you can handle the revelation of God to your soul. You just don't give a little fella a sharp knife. You don't give them anything that they could 
harm themselves with. They've got to reach a certain maturity in their development. And so it is in your growth. God doesn't start off manifesting His love to you, but it is an increasing manifestation of His heart as you mature and are able to handle it and not abuse His love. And dear ones, there's no greater height to which a mortal creature can ever reach than God drawing you nigh Himself, opening His heart, making known His mind, and manifesting His thoughts to you. That's as high as you can get while traveling down here. And some are going to say, well, is not the Bible for all? I'll leave that up to you to answer. Is it for you? We looked at one of the passages Sunday in bringing that study to, to an end was for Saul on the Tarsus road, on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, met Christ. Saul had a Bible a long time before he ever met the Lord Jesus. Saul of Tarsus thought he knew God. But as high as he ever got in his thinking was the teachings of his fathers and that of Gamaliel. That's the height to which he reached. And by their teachings, Saul had formed a God by his own mentality and education. He had a Bible, God's Word. He had a religion as taught by his fathers as they drew from Scripture their mental concept of what it was saying. And when Paul read, or Saul read, the Old Testament, he included himself in every verse that he read when it had to do with the children of God. How many different religions are there in the world based simply upon man's own thinking? How many, how many different divisions, even in the true church of the Lord Jesus, and oftentimes wonder, when will this be fulfilled? Father, I pray that they all may be one as you and I are one. And there's, there's so many divisions 
even in the true church. And these also have been formed by man's mental concept of this is what God says. You can't rest in what you think. You dare not rest in what the preacher tells you. You make certain that you're finding out God's thoughts towards you. And God's heart manifests to you. Now over the years man has they've they've come up with a telescope, powerful telescopes now and and they can reach out or view out to to close up to view close up the planets in our solar system have even found many other planets out there and other solar systems. They've seen the different constellations and, and stars by what they've discovered. And they also have, through the invention of the microscope, they've found living organisms that could not be seen by the naked eye. We've learned much about the creation of God from all these inventions, but the one thing that you can't learn in looking at the different constellations or the different planets or their orbits or the, or the one-celled animals that the human eye cannot see, organism, one-celled organisms, that the human eye cannot see, all created, but they do not tell us about the God of creation, only that He created. Now you cannot think your way to God. You cannot, by your own thought process, form a right concept of God. And a lot of folk are going are gonna to skip through life merely with the concept that they formed of God. They like the God that they've developed in their own thinking. Whether it's right or not, they got to bring their thinking back to the Word of God. Therein, their thinking be brought in line with, well, this is what God's thoughts are. For you can't fit the infinite and the eternal in little finite minds that we've got. I mean, God's outside everything. All the worlds that there are, God's outside all. And yet God is as near to you, closer to you than the one sitting on the pew with you. 
But the vastness, infinitude of God cannot, cannot be, be grasped in a little finite mind. God's eternal. Your mind, as you know it now, is temporal. One of the difficulties that you will face is it's a lot easier to learn than it is to unlearn our own notions. I had so much that I had to unlearn when I begin to see a little the God of Scripture and His ways. It's hard to rid yourself of your ideas of God. And most are satisfied with their own thoughts of God. If you never get higher than your own thoughts of God, you'll never get near God. Harried, thinking, Christ, when he heard of the miracles, his thinking of Christ was that when I beheaded, is risen again. He's back on the scene. And John the Baptist asked the Jews, Whom think ye that I am? I mean, they came up, Are you Jeremiah? Uh, Are you that prophet? Or are you the one that we've been looking for? Now, he was a good man. He was a righteous and holy man, but he was far beneath the Christ that he was preaching. And he asked him, Whom think ye that I am? He said, I am not he. Your mind's fixated on the wrong person and the wrong identity. Christ asked the Jew, what think ye of Christ? What do you suppose? What's your opinion of Christ? And their opinion of the Lord Jesus was that which had been formed in their own thinking from the Word of God. Now there are two passages in John that I want you to look at. Two more other places. John 13. John 13. Beginning with verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew... I mean, he's growing in wisdom, in knowledge. And you can't grow in wisdom until you got a degree of knowledge to make application of that that you know in your head. When Jesus knew 
that his hour was come. A time's here. That he should depart out of this world. I'm leaving. But he knew where he was going. Back unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world. He loved, loved them unto the end. Now listen. And supper being ended. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Christ now knows I'm Lord over all things. My Father has placed all things in my hands. And Jesus knowing, second thing, that he was come from God. Third thing, and he went to God. Now, here is the Lord of all God's creation. I mean, all things were created by Him. Without Him was not anything created that was created. But when He became man, these things were in His Father's hands until right now. Now He knows. As the Son of Man, my Father has given all things. He's put them back in my hands as the Son of Man. And I know I came from God. I'm going back to God. But that's, there's more to this than what's contained in that verse. The next verse is what ought to catch your attention. He rises from supper, knowing all things... Laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. That's as far as I'll read. You know the rest of it. Now, I cannot but grasp a little of the Father's heart as he looked upon the only begotten Son. Knowing that son knows I'm headed to the cross. And see his son take a towel and a basin of water and begin to wash his disciples' feet. There were many servants in the old economy that had to smile from time to time as they saw Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. But I don't know that any saw him at this point in life. Laying aside his garments, girding himself, 
And here the Creator of all began washing the defiled feet of His disciples. I'm quite certain that this is a true statement. That there was no king who was ruler of a, of a great empire ever delight in his son humbling himself enough to wash the servants in the king's palace, wash their feet. He just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't think about it. He wouldn't have it. My son's not going to do that. But one thing I know about the father looking on the on, on his son, that he was well pleased because the scripture said Christ did always those things that pleased his father. But never, you read Isaiah 53, and you can see this now that we're on the other side, Isaiah 53 and the cross. But never was the heart of Christ revealed, or the Father began to display more of his heart than right here that night. Nowhere. Beginning here up to and on Calvary when he gave that last great cry or next to last, it is finished. Father, into thy hands commend I my spirit. The Jews saw Jesus weeping at Lazarus' tomb. You know what they concluded from his tears? Behold how he loved him. They didn't even get that right. Don't believe that Christ was weeping because Lazarus was dead. He knew he's fixing to get up. He may, he may have had a broken heart due to the sisters, but he knew he'd soon mend that. There may have been more tears shed there, Jesus weeping, as he looked on the Jews that, that thought that they looked in his heart. Behold, I loved him. And they never saw his heart. Never. They didn't see the heart of Christ manifest. Now, if I was in that crowd and saw Christ's tears, and I was affected by that, and grace was operative in my heart, I'd be looking beyond a dead child of God that's in the grave. He's all right. I'd be looking beyond 
the words of the Jews thinking that they understood the heart of Christ. And again I say, if grace was operative in my heart and I was in in that crowd, I'd be wondering, does he love me? Does he? If a piece of mail came, was put in your box, and on the outside it was addressed to the occupant, I doubt you'd waste your time opening it. You'd know it'd be some kind of advertisement or wanting you to buy this or or whatever. You'd probably throw it away. But if it had your name, no, it didn't have your name. But it came to your box and said, open immediately, check enclosed. Instead of the former piece that you'd throw in the trash, you'd open this one. You won't find out, does that check have my name on it? You'd want to see if it was made out to you. Most folk approach the inspired Word of God with little more concern than they do for that piece of mail addressed to occupant. Just a letter. Know all about, or no, I know all I need to know about God. Any of you, I hope all of you, that has an interest in your eternal state should search daily these 66 little letters to see, is this to me? Is my name written here? In the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm coming back to John 19. If you want to hold your place in John. But I want you to look with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter number 4. If you've got an interest in knowing, if this is to you, you can find out. Because the heart of God is manifest herein to all of his children. Philippians 4.3, Paul, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel with Clement also, And with other my fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, Paul hadn't opened the book of life because there's no literal book up there. None. Then how could he be certain that Clement and these other fellow laborers with him How could he be certain that their names 
were in the book of life. Their character and their conduct identified them as having their names written there. One last revelation, next to last, Revelation 13. And verse number 8. Now this is speaking about the beast. Those that worship it. Now John, here, verse number 8. And all they that dwell, that is, this is your inhabited place. You look for nothing higher. Your world is here. This is all you'll ever need. All that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, if you are a child of God, you know that you've got only a temporal housing down here. And all or whatever you possess, you know you've got to give it up. We can't take anything with us. If your world is here, if you're not dwelling in a movable tent, I get up and I follow God everywhere the cloud leads me by day or by night. I've got a fixed permanent dwelling here, and your life rises no higher than the basic instincts of the beast of the field. It's because your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Remember when when the Jews came and they would make Christ, they would make him a king. They'd been fed. They'd say, Boy, this would be this would be a glorious lifestyle. We got a king that'll deliver us from Roman bondage. We got a king that can feed us all that we'll ever need. He can he can supply all our physical needs. And when they would make him a king, it is said that he departed into a mountain place alone. He came on a greater mission than to feed you and clothe you and 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 provide you with a decent lifestyle. He will provide all your needs, but his ultimate end was to manifest himself to the children of God, therein making known the heart of God, 
to all his children, raising you above what you eat, what you wear, where you go, what you do with your extra time. Now because he rejected them making him king, then the next account you have of him is here in John 19. They're fixing to crown him with a crown of thorns. God said that, Adam, because you've done this, the earth's going to bring forth thorns and thistles and briars. It's going to be cursed for your sake. And because Christ rejected these earth dwellers, and their names not written in the Lamb's book of life, then they're going to crown him the greatest sinner that's ever been. This is the last John 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now they didn't, they didn't place that nicely like you would the crown of royalty ascending to the throne with force so it pierced into that sinless head and they put on him a purple robe and said in mockery hail king of the Jews and they smote him with their hands Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him behold I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Now, I, I, I think that I'm correct in telling you this, and if I'm not, it's in one of the old writers, another old writers. Robert Hawker. Robert Hawker brought this out. He said, now look at the word Pilate in your, in our translation, and you'll find it in parenthesis, meaning that it was not in the original text, but added, thinking that they would clarify this a bit more. Now, oftentimes when they did that, it did help much. He said they did us harm here for he said it was not Pilate and he had a forcible argument but it was Jesus that saith unto him behold the man the father and again I hope I'm telling you correctly in Isaiah 42 said behold my servant the Spirit of God said, Behold the Lamb of God. And in Isaiah 65, one, two times, 
The Lord Jesus said, Behold me, behold me, to a nation that has yet not been born, not yet brought into the kingdom. Behold me. And washing the disciples' feet. And here in the Pilate's judgment hall, two of the grand masterpieces of Scripture manifesting the heart of God, the heart of Christ, and that of the Spirit. Now, dear ones, you'll never begin to see or understand God's thoughts towards you until there is a new birth. And until after that new birth, there is the dying process having begun and daily operative in your life. Now, when that begins to take place, then the inward reality of pardon and peace and adoption and justification and acceptance and translation out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. All that begins to fall in place in your heart. Based upon the revelation of the heart of God. We have seen glorious things of the earth spoken. Zion city of, of our God. Now, for the glorious things that are spoken of Zion, that's because of what God is making you. You can't know what God thinks of Zion unless God makes his thoughts known. Listen. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, strength. God put himself at the highest peak. You're to love me. He set himself as the highest attainment of a human soul. Because he knew you've got an eternal soul. You've got within you, though it's finite now, it will one day be an infinite soul. And the only thing that can satisfy you, children, the only thing that can satisfy you is that now in time you begin to understand and seek after God who's placed himself at such a height. You love me, and I'll manifest myself to you. And you love me. And then that within, that, that eternal, never-dying soul shall begin to find something to fill it. And quit hopping around on the ground picking up grubs or seed off 
plants but begin to soar in the heavenlies as the eagles. Anything less than God has an end. Now you can go out there, you can do whatever out there. You can accomplish great feats out there. You can labor much and gain much, but there's nothing. The little girl wants to get married one day and have a family. And the little boy wants to have a family. Whatever his ambitions. But when he accomplished all, all that, there is an emptiness within it. Unless the two are united in Christ. And bonded in Him. And learning Him. And having Him revealed to them. Let me read to you a couple of stanzas from one of our hymns. If you want to look at it, it's it's number 337. Sweet was the time when first I felt the Savior's pardoning love applied to cleanse my soul from guilt and bring me home to God. Soon as the morn the light revealed his praises tuned my tongue and when the evening shades prevailed his love before my soul. One more. In prayer my soul drew near to the Lord drew near the Lord and saw his glory shine and when I read his holy word I called each promise mine able to do that because of the revelation of the heart of God the manifestation of the heart of God to that soul I read the book and I read the promises and I can jot and I can jot my name in there. Christ who loved me. I can put my name there and rest in him. Because he's revealing his heart to me. What about you?